Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Abstract. It's Derek here. Hey, it's Dan. Hi, Derek. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited for this uh, paper today. We've really got a theme going this year with uh, COVID vaccine, and now we're uh, taking a turn towards vaccines for other purposes. Yeah. So the paper we're talking about today is titled A Non-Inflammatory mRNA Vaccine for Treatment of Experimental Autoimmune Encephalomyelitis. So lots of big words that will begin to break down. But this paper was published in the journal Science um, in January 2021, so very recently. Um, and it was done by the Sahin Group at the University Medical Center of Johannesburg Gutenberg University in Germany and done in collaboration with BioNTech, which was the company that, along with Pfizer, helped produce the COVID vaccine, which is an mRNA vaccine. Talk about being productive during COVID. Not only did they uh, contribute the basic science to the Pfizer vaccine, but now they're just curing all sorts of other diseases here, multiple sclerosis with vaccines. So it's putting all of our pandemic productivity to shame. Yeah, you know, Dan, I really don't think it's fair to say that I wasn't productive because I will have you know, I watched a record number of TV shows this year, more than any other year before. That's that's fair. And also it seems like your um, plant collection is also thriving. So you have been uh, very domestically productive. Also true. I'm sure my thesis committee will be super thrilled to hear all about that. I'm sure. I'm sure. Let's talk a little bit about the topic of this paper first. So the title of this paper has autoimmune encephalomyelitis, but really this is just a fancy word for what in humans we call multiple sclerosis, which is a type of autoimmune disease. Before we talk about what multiple sclerosis is, we should really talk a bit about what the pathophysiology of autoimmune diseases in general. And it really involves this one specific cell type called T cells. So T cells are a type of white blood cell. It's an immune cell that specializes in recognizing foreign particles. So this is usually um, parts of proteins or little stickers on things like viruses and bacteria. But this can be other things as well, such as cancer and damaged cells. So when we talk about T cells, we should also talk about this concept of tolerance. So this is when something like a T cell recognizes a protein or some sort of tag or sticker on a cell, but actively chooses not to attack it. So in some cases, you know, this is a good thing, but not always. There are certain things in our body we want our immune cells to attack like cancer, like viruses and bacteria and other things. Um, and interestingly, certain cancers can actually take advantage of this by inducing tolerance to, to escape being killed by these T cells. And the other concept that, that is the opposite of tolerance is something we call autoreactivity. So this is when a T cell recognizes and attacks a cell that they're actually not supposed to. And this is the basis of autoimmune disease. We've talked about autoimmune diseases before on this podcast, such as lupus and Sjogren's. And today we'll be talking, like I mentioned, about multiple sclerosis. The job that the immune system has to do is really incredibly challenging and kind of amazing that it can do it because, of course, its job is to detect invaders, and those invaders can be cancer cells, they can be bacteria or viruses, but at the same time, 
it's got all this potency to destroy those invaders, but it also has to leave ourselves alone. And that, and that ability to distinguish ourselves, our cells in our liver and our muscle and our, and our nervous system from the invaders just by differences in the tags that Derek talked about on the surface of the different cells. It's like really amazing that it, that it, that it can do this. And it's understandable that it can go wrong in disease that if it's not potent enough, you can be um, susceptible to an infection or if it just gets a little too excited, then you're looking at autoimmune disease like lupus and Sjogren's, but also multiple sclerosis, which we'll be talking about today. So in the case of multiple sclerosis, which we also just call MS, these T-cells attack a protein called myelin. Now myelin is a protein that coats the outside of neurons and help them transmit brain signals and other neuronal signals super effectively. So myelin is really, really important in the function of our nervous system. So when these T-cells attack myelin and destroy it, essentially our nervous system can't transmit these signals as effectively. Maybe there's something you can help to clarify for me. The title says experimental autoimmune encephalomyelitis, but here we're talking about MS. What's the difference between them or why are we talking about MS here? A lot of the time when we model diseases in organisms such as mice, they don't perfectly mimic what we see in humans. So essentially, experimental autoimmune encephalomyelitis is just a fancy name to what we call induced multiple sclerosis in mice. I see, I see. So we are trying to model MS in mice, but we're just calling it, calling it something else. Yeah. Scientists love to you know, try and sound smarter than they really are, so they just give a lot of fancy names to things <laughs> to make it more difficult to understand. Of course. That's why we're here, Derek, right? Exactly. <laughs> and so what's the current treatment approach for MS? Like we mentioned, MS is a type of autoimmune disease. And one of the best ways so far that we have to treat autoimmune disease is to just kind of tamp down the immune system overall to make the immune system a little less excited. And we do this typically with a drug called corticosteroids. So we administer corticosteroids. It reduces a lot of the immune activity, thereby reducing a lot of the inflammation that happens. But one of the issues with being on steroids long term is that they are immunosuppressive, meaning your immune system is less functional the longer you are on corticosteroids. Right. So we want the immune system to be really strong to fight infection like from bacteria and, and viruses, but we don't want it to be all ramped up to attack ourselves. And if we give steroids, we broadly suppress it. So we might have improvement in the symptoms from our MS, but we also might be more susceptible to infection from bacteria or viruses. So that's the tricky part. With steroids, you're just sort of turning down the overall immune thermostat, but it's not specifically dealing with the issue of the immune system thinking that the myelin on your neurons is an invader. This is where the concept of vaccines really has revolutionized how we think and treat diseases. So the goal of 
any vaccine in general, and this includes mRNA vaccines, is to elicit an immune response to train the body to fight some sort of intruder, typically bacteria or viruses. And it does this by stimulating inflammation. And this activates the immune system to recognize whatever you're trying to vaccinate against. In the case of mRNA vaccines, they contain some sort of instruction for one tiny piece of, in the case of COVID-19, a virus. So for the COVID-19 vaccine, the mRNA has instructions on how to make the spike protein. This is something that we've talked about on Beyond the Abstract before. And in these mRNA vaccines, they have a specific genetic code um, made up of a bunch of tiny little letters. And one of these letters is a U. It stands for uracil, but that's not really important. But this is something that is specific to mRNA and is one of the mechanisms by which it activates the inflammatory response. So this little U letter within the mRNA vaccine is really powerful in making sure that our body reacts to the vaccine and protects us from any sort of future infection. So just to make sure I have this straight, normally when we think about a vaccine, we're trying to teach our immune system to recognize an invader and mount a better defense when it sees it the next time. So with the COVID vaccine to tell it, oh, here's the surface of the COVID virus that you might see, and next time you see it, attack it. But here it seems like we're doing something different, that by giving a vaccine for MS, we're actually trying to teach the immune system not to go after it. Is that right? Right, so it's a little counterintuitive, but again, they're trying to take advantage of the very, very specific nature of vaccines and being able to recognize a protein. Right. It's like kind of like sending the immune system to school. You're trying to teach it that this is something good or this is something bad. So then when it goes out into the world, it says, ah, oh, I remember from school that the myelin on my neurons, that's good. I shouldn't attack that. I wish I could vaccinate myself with everything that's going to be tested on, you know, step one and my medical school exams. <laughs> Join the club. In this paper, the first challenge that the authors needed to tackle was how would they create an mRNA vaccine that promotes tolerance? So when they see myelin, they're like, okay, that's fine with me, like just vibing versus like, oh God, like let's freak out and attack it. Vibe and myelin. <laughs> Vibe and That's myelin. After. <laughs> exactly. So they did this first deciding to modify that letter, the letter U, into a pseudo-U, they called it. So they just changed little aspects of the letter. And in essence, this prevents it from activating the typical inflammatory response. After this, they decided to introduce a protein to the immune system in this non-inflammatory context, hoping that the immune system will be like, okay, I see this protein and everything seems to be fine. So let's just like calm down whenever we see it. Yeah, that seems like a key point and that distinction about the virus telling the immune system that this is bad versus that's good. So if it sees something new when it's chill outside, it's like, oh, this is probably good. But if it sees it when everything's inflamed, then it would think, oh, this is probably bad. So it seems really important, this uh, U to pseudo U change to introduce the myelin without 
the inflammation. Right. Again, this is all about teaching the immune system to recognize things in a new environment. How did they ensure that this vaccine didn't broadly suppress the immune system, sort of like when you give a steroid, you're turning down the immune thermostat? Did they look for that here? Again, one of the really important things that this new vaccine against MS has to do is it has to only really target this one aspect of multiple sclerosis. It can't affect the immune system overall, or else, you know, what's really the point? So the way they tested this is really, really cool. They decided to just give these mice that received the MS vaccine the flu vaccine as well. So if the immune system is still functioning and it's still okay, they should still be able to create antibodies against the flu and you know, have all the effects of the flu vaccine as a normal mouse would. They saw that these mice, as they expected, were able to mount a perfectly normal response against the flu vaccine. They still created antibodies. They were still able to fight the flu. And this is a big, big advantage over treatments like steroids, which again, suppress the entire immune system. So if you were to give a patient that has been on steroids chronically the flu vaccine, they might not really make any antibodies to an effective degree. So this is a really, really big milestone in the development of this um, MS vaccine. Okay, great. So it seems like they've developed a modified vaccine that doesn't create inflammation and doesn't broadly suppress the immune system. So what did they see when they tried to look at the effect on MS itself with the vaccine in mice? So now they really wanted to test this vaccine in this mouse model of MS, again called experimental autoimmune encephalomyelitis. When they give these MS mice the MS vaccine, these mice were actually protected against myelin loss, and they had fewer neurons dying, which is typical of MS. The really cool thing is that in some cases, it actually reverted the disease. So in mice that already had pretty severe MS, they were able to improve the amount of neurons that these mice had. So not only can this prevent MS, which is typically what we think about when we give vaccines, but it can actually treat it as well. Well, that's really exciting that it seems like it could not only stop progression, but also revert some of the damage that had been done before. Another really cool thing about this vaccine is that it didn't only prevent and treat disease in mouse models of MS where, where the T-cells attack myelin. When they looked at other models of MS where the T-cells attack other parts of that coating on the outside of neurons, they were still able to treat the disease there as well. Did they have any sense about what was going on once they gave the vaccine to improve the MS symptoms? Yeah, so there are a bunch of different types of T-cells, actually. And one of these T-cells is called regulatory T-cells. And these regulatory T-cells, as you can guess from the name, regulate other T-cells and teach them tolerance. So by expanding this population of regulatory T-cells, they can induce tolerance pretty broadly. Sounds like this vaccine is decreasing the T-cell attack on the myelin potentially by increasing a different sort of T-cell, these regulatory T-cells, the one that cools everything off, and it does this without broadly suppressing the immune system. Right. 
I know these concepts are really complex, but that really is just, you know, how complicated our immune system is. There are all these different moving parts, which is what makes treatment really, really difficult. It's not always sufficient just to tamp down the immune system overall because you're affecting other parts. You really have to target one specific part of the immune system in order to get the effect that you want without any of the side effects. In medical school, we learn that a lot of these diseases, a lot of these autoimmune diseases are really a combination of different molecular mechanisms gone wrong. Uh, like MS is not just one disease, but is a combination of a few different subtypes. And what does this study suggest about whether we need a personalized type for every subtype of MS or whether it kind of seems like it could be one approach for the umbrella? That's a really cool aspect about this study where they used one single type of vaccine and they were able to treat multiple types of MS models in mice. So this suggests that maybe they really only need to make one type of MS vaccine and they can give it to all these people with different subtypes and still have it be effective. I'm curious what you think about the future of mRNA vaccines. They've obviously had a huge year. They've gone viral, so to speak. Uh, hey. <laughs> yikes, in uh, helping to treat COVID and um, now with autoimmune disease. And we've uh, talked on a previous pod a bit about what they can do for personalized cancer um, treatment. And I'm curious what you see sort of for the next five years about uh, what, what mRNA vaccines might be doing. Yeah, I think this is a really, really exciting time for mRNA vaccines. It's really their time to shine. For a really long time, a lot of scientists doubted the efficacy or ability of mRNA vaccines to be a real sort of effective treatment in preventing disease or, or treating disease. But now I think we're seeing just how powerful mRNA vaccines really are. They're easy to modify. We know that they're safe. And these are all the features that we want in drug development. So I think in the you know, next five years, we're going to see an explosion for mRNA vaccines in treating a whole host of different things, and even things that were previously not preventable, like HIV. I think we'll see an HIV mRNA vaccine within the next five years. Something we talk about a lot in the pod is how the amazing science that we cover didn't just come out of nowhere. It came from years of basic science research into the underlying mechanisms and tools that were used here. So for instance, developing mRNA vaccines as an approach to deliver instructions to cells. And this was the, the, the product of just years and years of work. And another example of the importance of basic science research that might not have an obvious clinical application today, but can lay the foundation for drugs, and other sorts of treatment down the road. Totally. Go fund the NIH. <laughs> <laughs> Call your senator. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, thanks so much, Derek, for taking us through that. Hope everybody found this paper interesting and exciting, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.